If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Well, hello there, my fellow Yankee fans, and welcome to episode 139 of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap about the Yanks and nothing but those Yanks. As always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, here on May 15th, 2022. Holy crap, guys. (laughs) We are back again Another two-week breather with Mother's Day having been last Sunday. I hope it was a good one for all you amazing moms out there. I know it was for my mom, who's, again, just like I said, two weeks ago, objectively, the best of them all. Sorry to break that to all of you, but the truth is the truth. But you know what else is the truth, guys? Despite Aroldis Chapman blowing the game last night and him completely just exhausting me and the rest of the fan base... Well, the fact that otherwise, this freaking team, the New York Yankees, simply put, is unstoppable, which you will also notice is the title of today's episode because it is the appropriate and basically only title that anybody should be titling anything having to do with the Yankees right now because they are unstoppable. They may not be on a double-digit winning streak anymore like they were last week and the week before that, but even since that streak ended in that last Toronto game in Toronto, granted they still took that series, in those couple of weeks and even going back to the winning streak, just in the last three weeks or so, they've still only lost a couple of times since then. In fact, they've won 17 of their last 20, (laughs) and overall... With their 24-9 and record coming into today's game, the last game in Chicago against the White Sox, Game 4. Also the only team left with single-digit losses, by the way, in the entire sport. But they're also officially off to their best start since 2003. Almost 20 years ago. In that killer season back in 03. I mean, just look at the team from top to bottom. The offense, I mean, we've gone through it since the season started. I mean, the very beginning to the season had its ups and downs, definitely. There were similar-looking habits to last year's team and not good ones, as we spoke about for a while there. But, I mean, for the last few weeks, ever since then, for most of the season up to this point, granted it's still early, but we, we went through it a lot two weeks ago, and a lot of it has remained the same, with just a few changes here and there. But the offense is still as resilient and strong as it's ever been. Just God-tier. God-tier. Except when Montgomery's pitching, and I'm still convinced that they all gather in a huddle and decide to do that thing where they just forget how to make successful contact, and we saw this yet again last night. So, except for when Montgomery's pitching, but (laughs) nonetheless. And yes, certain guys are having their difficulties still, obviously. Hicks has just been mostly a nightmare with runners in scoring position, at least. Donaldson, aside from a home run here and there, and quite a bit of walks, he does walk a lot, he has reached base safely in like 19 or 20 consecutive games, I think. 
Outside of that, he hasn't doing he hasn't been doing a ton necessarily, at least not what he's fully capable of. I know he's walking a lot. He'll have a home run here and there. And I see some of his stats, like his WRC plus is pretty solid, but he's definitely not doing what he's fully capable of. That much is true. When it comes to offense, at least, because he has been doing very nicely defensively at third for the most part. He really has been. And the Yanks are getting virtually nothing still. And this is a problem we even mentioned two weeks ago and before that, even going back to spring, anticipating this problem upon the season starting. And it is a thing. This was definitely a correct prediction, if nothing else is. (laughs) And I did have a lot of other correct predictions, but this is definitely one of them, the biggest ones. The Yanks are still getting virtually nothing offensively out of the catching position. And again, we all, a lot of us expected this to definitely be quite a bit of a problem this year, but it's really, it's become a pretty big issue, even though we, well, most of us predicted that we would not be getting a great deal of offensive output, to put it mildly, out of this position, and it's just become a pretty big problem, because Higashioka is just doing nothing, even though I know he had the game-tying sack fly last night, but I'm just speaking about the grand scheme of things overall so far this year. And Trevino, we expected not to really do much offensively, so I'm I'm a bit more patient with him, and he definitely makes up for it with his defense, which even Higashioka has struggled with here and there, so that makes it even more difficult in his case. But at least Trevino definitely has a really solid attribute to make up for the lack of offense. And the defense is phenomenal by him. He's still a top-notch framer, so he makes it more tolerable when he doesn't do much offensively, because the defense makes up for a lot of it. And I always have, as much as I would love for both to be really efficient, both offense and defense out of a catcher, if I had to choose one, I'd always rather better defense out of a catcher. So that's why I'm more patient with Trevino. That's still my freaking guy. (laughs) Not feeling confident when he comes to the plate, but behind the plate, I I feel the utmost of confidence. IKF. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. I don't want to make too big a deal about this because for weeks there, he was doing a terrific job. Just seems to be really struggling now. Not doing too much at the plate anymore. He's been making his defensive mistakes. Made that boneheaded mistake trying to advance to third in the ninth inning last night in last night's game against the Sox. So he's been having a rough go at it lately and making some boneheaded mistakes. Even he called it exactly that, actually, a boneheaded mistake. (laughs) Using my language now. But, uh... He's been having a rough go at it, but, you know, I, I assume he'll come out of that eventually. He'll, you don't really worry too much about people who just really put the bat on the ball like he does when they fall into slumps because their slumps usually don't last for long because their main focus is just to put the bat on the ball. That's their focus. And he is defense-oriented, so, you know, he'll make his mistakes every now and again, but most of the time he should be sharp. Should be. And the base-running mistake, like last night, the errors on the bases... Hopefully that's a lesson learned. Came back to bite a bit last night, especially considering the end result of the game. Who knows what would happen if he just stayed on base and eventually came home from a potential hit from DJ, even though he got out, or maybe judge after. You never know. But after a mistake like that, and after his blunders lately and struggles at the plate, he's been having a bit of a rough go at it. And then you look elsewhere and you got Joey Gallo. I pick on him a lot, I know. But, you know, just a great deal of the time, he'll just still do little to nothing. It's just the truth that more often than not, nothing really happens because especially of his streaky gameplay overall. He'll hit his home runs every now and again. He has hit a few more in the last couple of weeks, and I did mention that two weeks ago as well. And he draws his walks, I know. This is, but that's what he's 
mainly known to do. If he's not hitting home runs and walking, then he's really doing nothing because he's even had his defensive hiccups this year, which is strange because he's definitely known for defense too. He's made his share of bad throws as well when he's known to have a very strong and accurate arm in the past too. And he's mainly known to hit home runs and walk and definitely strike out, but I'm just mentioning the positives that he usually does. The walking and the home runs, definitely a major thing. And when he's not doing either of those two, then he's really just a non-factor at the plate. Nothing. So, for people who just don't really like those kinds of hitters, and Gallo's pretty frustrating for you. And it is frustrating for me too, I'm not going to lie. But if he's hitting home runs and walking, then I'm, I'm a bit more patient with him. But, you know, he's... He still go through, goes through his rough patches, and he can be very streaky. He'll hit his home runs in bunches. He'll get his walks in bunches, and then he'll do nothing forever. And then repeat cycle, rinse and repeat. So, I don't know. With Gallo, it's just on and off. It's, it's aggravating a lot of the time. But, listen, I love when the guy does well. I love it. I even said this two weeks ago when he finally hit his first home run, how the team embraced him and how happy he looked. I was like, oh, my God. It's just like wholesome content when he does good. I, I don't know. So I really, I push for him to succeed all the time. I push for all the Yankees to succeed. They're the team I root for. So I always root for him to do well, like I do all the players in the Yankees, even if they drive me nuts sometimes. <laughs> so that's just natural fandom. But I will say since the end of April, since the last week of April, Gallo has turned it around a bit. So I hope he keeps it up. That's when he finally started hitting home runs again and even getting walks again. Working counts more often. I think he's on four home runs right now coming into today, and he has been drawn his walk, so is it's been a bit of an upturn, but I need that to continue. Keep it going, dude. I want him to do well. I really, really do. But a lot of those negatives I just mentioned, those, again, when they do happen, because even those negatives have their good moments, but when they do happen, those get suppressed. Those are lessened or masked because of all the other good things going on, the countless positives on this team. I don't want to focus on the negatives because this season has been spectacular on the whole. So I don't want to make it seem like I'm focusing on the negatives. I am not. Trust me. I just try to flush out everything I'm saying as best as possible, but I am not focusing on the negative. Let's focus on those positives because, my God, I'm probably even going to miss a few because when we all run down the list, we're inevitably going to miss some because there are just so many. It's a thing of beauty. Aaron Judge, I mean, my sweet lord, even as the song says, <laughs> you want to talk about making a case to get paid. <laughs> Leading the sport in home runs. Even just hit his first walk-off for a three-run shot on Tuesday against the Jays. He is killing it. You couldn't find a bad stat if you looked for an entire day. And when he is on, you just see just how important he is to this team, and just how much of a factor he is offensively, just in the sport overall, what a threatening presence he is, if you're the opposition, and what a thing of beauty it is to have him on your team if you're the Yankees. I'm stating the obvious, and what all of us should know for a very, very long time now, but that's simply the truth. How about his counterpart, Giancarlo Stanton, because when the two of them are going at the same time, Look out, because if you're the opposition, you're going to have a tough time winning the game. Because especially when those two homer in the same game, I think they've only lost like once. <laughs> it is a very rare occurrence that the Yankees do not win a game in which those two homer at the same time. Because they... You remember years ago, 
2018, 2019, 2018, Judge mainly had his injury problems, especially when he got hit in the wrist with the pitch by Jacob Junis. And then in 19, Stanton barely played, and 19, Judge also had his injury problems as well. Back then, when they were on the same team, Yankee fans, all of us, used to fantasize about a Yankee team when those two, John Carlos Stanton and Aaron Judge, were to both be healthy. What would that be like? And I would say in the 2020 postseason, or last season and so far this season, but it mainly in the 2021 season, regardless of how dreadful it was offensively on the whole, but one massive positive, if you had to pick any from last year, is what those two did together to mainly put the offense on their backs for the vast majority of last season. We basically finally had that fantasy come true last year when they both mainly played a fully healthy season, basically fully healthy, except for when Judge missed some time from COVID, but he never got hurt. And he and Stanton so far, I got a wooden desk in front of me, so I'll, uh, right now. Same thing's happening right now. And we finally had our dream, our wish answered as to what would happen on this team and just the God status offense we would be experiencing between, between the two if they just played healthy together. And now we see, since I'd say the 2020 postseason, it's like a cheat code. <laughs> it just isn't fair when either one of those two are locked in at different times, or especially when both of them are locked in at the same time. And that's been happening a great deal recently. But even individually, Aaron Judge, incredible, like I just said, but John Carlos Stanton as well. What do you even say? He's, he's just in a league of his own, and he makes it look so effortless when he's locked in. It's ridiculous. Offensively, defensively, hitting home runs, leading the way in RBIs, and he's just looking as, as determined and locked in as ever. Again, it's incredible. And I'm so glad to be seeing him still have reps in the outfield and kicking ass out there, proving that he never lost a step regardless of how reluctant the Yankees were to put him back out there for years, much to our anger and dismay over it. And they finally put him back out there and showed that he's still as capable as ever defensively. And it really is a thing of beauty to watch because he's just, he's a sensational ball player. I don't care how anybody ever hated this guy. Might he have gotten on your nerves a little bit in 18 and, and throughout the 2020 season when he barely played? And then, you know, 2020 postseason, that's really since then. I mean, he's just been S-tier. For those people who don't know what that means, it's just God status. <laughs> since the 2020 postseason, he's just in a league of his own. Really, it's incredible to watch. It really is. His effortless performances. The way he goes out there, hits home runs, doesn't even do a full rotation to the hips. His strength just comes from his ridiculous upper body strength. That's where it comes from. It's unbelievable. It's a definition of watching a professional just excel in his craft. It really is special to watch Stanton play, especially when he's locked in. He could still have those ugly swings every now and again when he strikes out in an ugly way. But, I mean, what he's doing... It just, it really suppresses all of that. Makes you forget about it. DJ LeMayhew, still doing great. Taking the ball to all fields. Still doing a fantastic job. And obviously doing very well defensively no matter where they put him. 
Rizzo, even though he's inevitably slowed back down a bit after he was playing out of his mind, he did come back down to earth. I mean, he's still doing his thing and contributing nonetheless. Doing fine defensively. And he's he's doing his thing whenever offensively. Again, he did slow down, but he's, you know, he'll heat up again eventually. And people will be praising him again. <laughs> he'll be fine. He will be fine. He's still doing his thing every now and again. Even last night, he was a big part in continuing that rally late in the game. Even though it would be a losing effort, but he does his thing still. Glaber Torres. How about Glaber? I mean, we've all spoken constantly about how he needs to pick things up, and soon. I I was having this conversation all throughout the early part of the season, up till two weeks ago, the last episode. All of us just being perpetually baffled at how a kid who's still so young, some people might forget, even though they never mention his age enough. (laughs) I say that with the utmost of sarcasm, but just so young at age 25 with so much promise to start how he had become such a disappointment the last three years, going back to 2020. And yes, he's still got a bit of ways to go to fully bounce back, but even he's been crazy locked in lately. And that's an awesome sign, because when he is, you can't deny his importance. You can't. I mean, him being completely lousy last year was a major factor in why the offense was so miserable in 2021. I mean, he reached five home runs this year within the first 25 to 30 games of the season. That's something that took him almost quadruple that time to do last year. I think it took him around 85 games to do that last year. 85! Somewhere in the ballpark of those numbers. And I didn't have much time to gather specifics or honestly take much of any notes at all today, guys, to be honest, because just because of how busy I have been, but... It's definitely very close to those numbers. I know that for a fact. It took him nearly quadruple the time to earn just that amount of home runs last year as it has this year. So, I mean, granted, last year is tough to do worse than when it comes to Glaber and the year he had. But the point is, he's already off to a far better start this year than in 2021, especially thanks to his latest hot streak and contributions of late in big moments. And he's doing well defensively at second, too. Thank God. So I, I got to give my props to him. But overall, like I said, just the offense doing its thing and being relentless when doing so. The aggression on the base paths, too. How aggressive they are at stealing bases and running and taking advantage of every mistake of the opposing team. The two-out rallies. Just things you have not seen from the Yankees in a long time. <laughs> That's been making the games awfully fun to watch. As I always say, things I love to see, that. (laughs) How about the pitching? Can you say enough about the pitching? Because for the most part, especially with the rotation, I mean, my God. Also phenomenal. I mean, the bullpen, even though Loisica hasn't exactly been the same this year as he was last year, And every once in a blue moon, someone's off their game, which is inevitable because they're still human beings. But Loisaga hasn't really been the same. Chapman, of course, I mean, he just, he walks too many people. We saw that again yesterday. Many of his blown saves or blown games or just any time he just coughs it up, it's always his own doing. 
just walking too many hitters, completely losing the strike zone, losing his fastball, losing his slider, not making good use of the splitter, just shooting himself in the foot, really. And he just gets to be all over the place. And it really is tough to feel comfortable with him on the mound. I mean, he exhausts me. I mean, just outside of last night's game, and I know a lot more people feel this way. I mean, I just think maybe he shouldn't be the closer anymore. I don't know about getting rid of him altogether, but just... I'm not comfortable with him as a closer anymore. I'm not. This is for a while now. This is not just because of last night. I'm not that reactionary. But I'm just not comfortable with him being the closer anymore. Just way too erratic. I mean, you can't trust the guy. If he loses it, just even a little bit, the whole inning will go right off the rails. And it'll be his own doing. Sometimes it'll be from giving up a home run or a hit or anything like that, but... A lot of the time, it's just because he's walking too many people, and he totally loses the strike zone. There's no middle ground with the Roldis Chapman. And again, I don't mean to focus on the negative here, but this did just happen last night, and it is a point of discussion. But there's no middle ground with the Roldis Chapman. You either get the best pitcher in the entire sport in the sense you can't touch his fastball, you especially cannot even dream of touching his splitter, and even his slider's a nice addition, and you can't even dream of making contact on his pitches. Or, you'll get a guy that in 14 pitches, he throws two strikes. And he cannot find the strike zone if his life depended on it. And when it's the latter, you just really can't rely on the guy. And lately, it's been more the latter. I mean, he's lucky he went having a zero ERA as long as he did. Because one of those times, I believe it was Michael King that came. And I believe he loaded the bases with nobody out one night. And I think Michael King came and he got him out without allowing a run. So his ERA stayed at zero. His ERA should be pretty high right now, Chapman. And if not pretty high, at least it should be in the fours maybe. So he's been bailed out by all the other quality arms. Because, I mean, Clay Holmes is just killer. Michael King is killer. You have your really good arms out there. And Loisaga, I mean, especially because of what he did last year, I'm nowhere near giving up on him. I'm nowhere near. I think he's just struggling right now. He has to he has to locate his stuff better. He's a bit wild right now. So, overall, despite the negatives, probably just being Chapman or Loisaga struggling a bit, I mean, the rotation, the bullpen, it's amazing. The pitching is amazing. They're mainly untouchable. They really, really are. You look at the rotation being Garrett Cole. I mean, he has found it again the last four starts. He is back. Nestor Cortez, I, <laughs> he's pitching again today. I'm sure he's going to do a great job because that's just how confident I am in him. I could. The game hasn't started yet at the time I'm taping. It has not even started yet. And I can go on the record right now saying I could personally guarantee that he's going to bury the White Sox today. And if I am wrong about that, then I will be... I'll be honest about it like I am everything else. I'll be upfront about it. I have no problem admitting when I'm wrong. But I'm just really confident in the guy. <laughs> I really am. Tyone has quietly been doing a very nice job this year. Montgomery, he didn't go deep into the game yesterday, but still only allowed two runs, and he is a victim of his offense hating him. <laughs> the guy gets all-time levels of low run support. He still only allowed two runs yesterday. And he has been one of the more consistent Yankee starters for the last couple of years now. 
Meanwhile, I had some dope yesterday on Twitter tell me that he's a triple-A pitcher because he only he didn't even hit, reach five innings yesterday. Just because he didn't reach five innings in one start, he didn't go quite as deep as he does in other starts. Oh my God. Yeah, Put the guy in the cross and crucify him. What are you, a moron? Have you watched him pitch the last couple of years? Triple-A pitcher? We know very well that he's not an ace. He's a solid three or a solid four. I'd say three. And his ERA for a couple of years now has floated around three, maybe even under three a vast majority of the time. And you're over here in my Twitter mentions saying that Montgomery's a triple-A pitcher? Are you actually stupid or just pretending to be? With all due respect, of course. I mean, come on. And then you got Seve in the rotation. Of the five, he's probably doing the worst. No, he statistically is doing the worst. But he's still showing us a lot of good things early on here. And you have to remember with Severino, this is his first year starting in any games since 2019. So there's going to be an adjustment. But early on here, throughout those adjustments, we have seen a lot of promise from him. And hopefully, as he hopefully continues to stay healthy, you just see him continue to build and build and build upon those positives. Because that's the goal. The most important thing for him, especially after the last few years, what his health has been like, is him staying healthy. And then building on the positives that we have already seen early on here. So I'm a little more patient with Seve, even though he's still doing a fairly good job. For the most part, he's doing very well. So, the rotation, unreal. The bullpen, again, with Loisica struggling and Chapman just sometimes going out there and completely losing every sense of the strike zone. Miguel Castro's a little wild, but he's still done a, a very nice job, and when he's on, he is on. And Chad Green, I have, I have mostly lost faith in Chad Green. I mean, lately, just blowing big leads and blowing big moments in games, whether it be a tie or with the lead, seems to be his favorite pastime the last couple of years. So, I, I've run out of patience with him and. Everyone just seems to have figured him out. I mean, his fastball doesn't do much anymore, and his curveball is just complete garbage. I don't care what anybody says. I'm just not a fan of his curveball. So, I know it sounds like I'm talking a lot of crap about the bullpen right now, but those are just three, maybe four arms. And I happen to believe in Castro quite a bit, so even though I mention him in a negative sort of light because he gets wild sometimes, I mean, he's his stuff is still crazy good. So, and I know, I'm really confident that despite Loisica's struggles, he's going to find it. I mean, he's too important not to, and I think he's going to figure it out eventually. I do. Not sure about being 2021 status. He was just completely different at that point, but I think he'll find it. The rest of the bullpen, though, I mean, my God, Wandy Peralta, Clay Holmes, Michael King, even Clark Schmidt out there ate up more innings last night. You saw him again. And Lucas Litke is... He's okay, I guess. Definitely not what he was last year, but maybe he'll find it again. I, I'm confident with him against lefties, but against righties, I, I'm sweating bullets. <laughs> but but yeah, so the bullpen, I mean, for the most part, I, I personally, especially Michael King, Clay Holmes, Clark Schmidt has proven to be very good. I'm very happy with him, especially because I was talking about with his struggles that he's had in his few outings in the big league so far and his inability to stay healthy in the past that I'd like to see him take a step forward and I think he definitely has to start the season here so I'm very happy about that but especially him Michael King Wandy Peralta Clay Holmes they, those those guys are just phenomenal phenomenal and I think for now until Chapman figures it out I don't think Chapman should be closer anymore I'd like to see Clay Holmes as the closer and my god what a pickup what a pickup 
when you continue to look back on it. I, I have I've said this so many times, but you cannot say it enough. What a pickup Clay Holmes turned out to be from Pittsburgh. My God in heaven, what a pickup. And I'll be the first to admit it, that I was a little skeptical. I wasn't completely like, oh my God, there's going to be an absolute disaster like some other people were saying. But I was a little skeptical about giving up Hoy Park in that trade to get Clay Holmes. But oh my God, what a, what a trade this turned out to be. I, that's the thing I have to tip my cap to Brian Cashman with. I mean, if you don't, then you're just lying to yourself or you're just being unfair. Because you have to tip your cap with that. What a trade this ended up being. How important Clay Holmes is to that bullpen at this point. Can you say enough about it? Can you? Because as far as I'm concerned right now, that guy should be the closer until further notice. <laughs> but so really, but the bullpen overall has still been really good in holding up. They've still been doing fine overall, even if my confidence is a bit shaken in a couple of guys, but that's really it. You really can't complain. The team ERA overall especially in the rotation, has just been still killer amongst the top in the sport, and especially in the American League. Oh, my God. So, overall, you just, the offense, amazing. And when you only have a couple of guys there that haven't really fully joined the party yet, necessarily, it's okay, because when you have everybody else doing what they're doing, like I said, it helps to mask the struggles, especially when they're really not seen as much, when the good is so much overwhelmingly over the bad, it really is amazing. So when guys like Josh Donaldson have not hit their full potential as of yet, when Aaron Hicks frequently fails with runners in scoring position, when Joey Gallo has not been doing as much except for a home run here and there, mostly recently because the first few weeks he did actually nothing. But like I said before, since the last week of April, he has been a bit better. And when you have virtually nothing coming from the catcher's position when it comes to offense, it's okay. Because look at what the rest of the lineup is doing, and look at all the great things overall the team is doing to win games. They find new ways to win. Last year and many years in the past, the mantra for the Yankees was always finding new ways to lose. In 2022, it's been finding new ways to win. That's the difference here. Whether it be just relentless offense or being aggressive on the bases or aggressive in general, everything going their way, pitching being dominant, rotation or bullpen, just their confidence is off the charts. It oozes off of them. Even when certain guys struggle, the the positives, they pick them up. There are very few negatives on a team. And no matter how good a team is, there's always going to be at least a couple of negatives in place because these are still human beings. Nobody's perfect. And also not to mention, it's a long season and certain aspects of the team at certain times of the year will work and certain others won't work. At other times, none will be working. And other times, other than that, everything will be working. Those cycles are the name of the game. But the positives are thankfully so overwhelming this team is just so much fun to watch, guys. I-, I probably haven't said this since 2017. And that was about a year and a half or so before I started this show, even. Probably when I just first got my Twitter account in 2017, honestly. When I first made my Twitter. This is definitely the most fun team since then. But especially to start a season? 
I haven't had this much fun with any Yankee team in a really long time, guys. Really long time. I know it's still early. It's only mid-May. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blah, 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 blah. But a guy can still have a blast, you know? Even amidst life still being all over the place from my job. (laughs) I'll tell you this much. The Yankees have been a very, very bright light and a very strong source of comfort and fun through a lot of my personal craziness in my life because of my job right now. And that's not only truly amazing on a personal level, but also just damn awesome in general. Seriously. I mean, come on, who's not enjoying watching the Yankees right now? Even non-Yankee fans. I know the Yankees have a lot of haters, trust me. But I even know for a fact that a lot of non-Yankee fans are like, my God, look at that freaking team. It's remarkable. You cannot say enough about it. So, I just went on a long diatribe about that because I cannot say enough about this team. I can't. I could do a whole episode just based on what I think of this team so far. I've already hammered out about a half an hour so far. So, <laughs> But it has been two weeks since the last time we spoke, so we definitely have some recapping to catch up on. Just like a couple of weeks ago after my previous time that I took off a week, like two weeks ago I think I took a week off. I swear, I have I have less than no concept of time anymore. <laughs> you got my social media segment at the end after recap. We got a kick-ass episode 139 today. And as you could hear, it's already off to a fun start as we yap about how great the Yankees have been in general to start what has been nothing less than just an electrifying season. I do have a couple of quick pieces of news that happened in the last two weeks before we get to recapping some games, but most of the stuff is recent, in case you happen to miss anything, mostly pertaining to roster stuff, but also some injury list updates. Nothing crazy, thankfully. I mean, the Yanks have had enough of crazy when it comes to injuries in the last three years alone to last any single person an entire lifetime, but there were some updates. The first one being about Ben Rortvet, who have obviously the Yankees we've spoken about, picked up as a piece in that trade with Minnesota, the one that saw Donaldson and Isaiah Kiner-Falefa come in here as well to New York. But Ben Rortvet, he was in the middle of a rehab assignment from the oblique injury that we all know has been a thing going back to spring training now. And they already knew he was hurt from when they traded for him. Well, now he had had a couple of rehab games. He was getting pretty close. But unfortunately, it looks like we're going to have to wait even longer to see this guy make his debut anywhere within the Yankees organization, whether it be at the AAA level or higher, here with the Yankees even, because they paused his rehab assignment because he now has a knee injury. (laughs) And I'm not laughing at the guy. I'm just saying they got this guy knowing he was hurt, and they were hoping for some good things when it came to this oblique injury, and it seemed like he was on his way back from it, and now he gets a knee injury. It's just incredible how things work out with injuries. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So unfortunately, we're going to have to wait even longer for Ben Rortvet, and maybe even some time before we even get another update as to how severe this knee injury even is, how long it'll take before he could start up another rehab assignment, and of course, when you do a rehab assignment, it'll take even longer to work your way back because you have... You have games to play and things to work through, and uh, (laughs) it is a process. So, we had had no updates on Ben Rortvet before today, really. We were just 
We understood that he started up a rehab assignment with, with single-A Tampa, but as of today, he is injured again with a knee injury. A couple of other things on Mother's Day. Tim LaCastro was placed on the 10-day IL as well with a left latissimus dorsi strain. And if that is not the correct pronunciation, it's okay because guess what? I'm not a doctor. So He was placed on the 10-day IL, though that was on Mother's Day. So the IL stint, if he is feeling better, should be up in just a couple of days. We'll see where it goes with that. And in the meantime, they did recall Ron Marinaccio from AAA. And also for the doubleheader on Mother's Day because of all the rainouts at the end of the week prior to that. On Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Well, Thursday was a day off. Friday, Saturday, they got rained out. And they had to play the doubleheader on Sunday and then do the makeup game on Monday when they were supposed to have off six days ago. So for the doubleheader, they did appoint Estevan Florial as the 27th man. Of course, he went back down after. And then on Thursday... This past Thursday, since they needed a sixth starter due to the doubleheader on Sunday and the lack of days off all the way to the 30th because the Yankees are during or in the middle of a stretch of 23 games in 22 days up to Memorial Day. So they they needed to give the starting rotation a bit of a breather because of that with the doubleheader on Sunday as well. So they optioned Marinaccio back down to AAA to bring up Luis Heel as a sixth starter. So he did pitch on Thursday and we'll talk about it more later on in recap, but even those pitches were a bit wild <laughs> at times. He's still having some control issues, but he got through it, mainly thanks to the Yankee offense just laying waste to the White Sox on Thursday and Friday. So that definitely helped things, but they did call him up to be the sixth starter, and they did, as expected, send him right back down after his start, and they brought Schmidt back up after he did his time in the minors from when he was sent back down, saw him in last night's game, like I mentioned before. And really the last main piece of news that's worth mentioning that was really released this past week, just a couple of days ago mainly, is that Brett Gardner. Haven't heard his name in a while, right? Because he still doesn't even have a team. The Yankees didn't bring him back because, quite frankly, they're just not in need of his services anymore. And he hasn't signed with anybody else because of how much he just wants to be a Yankee and only a Yankee. And it was further proven that this is the case because news arose this past week, just a couple of days ago, that the Blue Jays, big AL East rival, of course, who the Yankees have handled very well early on here, might I say, very important, but the Blue Jays offered Brett Gardner a contract that I don't see him doing better with, with anyone else. A one-year $6 million contract. Now, for Brett Gardner at this stage of his career, with what he contributes to a team, $6 million is a good offer. <laughs> it's really good. But he turned it down. Because guess what? The guy just wants to be a Yankee. And as much as I respect Gardner... And I love his loyalty to this organization since he came up in 08. I, I will never forget it. He He's a definition of a Yankee at heart. He definitely is. Very respectable. And y- you gotta admire the loyalty, especially here. He shows it again. Just only wants to be a Yankee and nothing else. Because he turned down a one-year, $6 million contract, which is considered to be very good given where he has, where he's at in his career right now. Came up in 2008, 
at 24. He is now 38. (laughs) The Yankees are not in need of his services anymore. 38 going on 39. And he turned down a one-year, $6 million offer from the Blue Jays. And he would take less money from the Yankees. If the Yankees offer him like a one-year, $2 million or $3 million deal, he'd take it. He wants to be a Yankee. He has no interest in being anywhere else. And even though I am still admitting I do not want the Yankees to bring him back because they truly just don't need him anymore, you gotta admire the loyalty. You have to. It's unreal. But I don't think the Yankees are bringing him back because they don't need him. So if he really does have this mindset, and nobody's, I'd be shocked if anybody offers him a better contract than that offer by the Blue Jays. He's going to end up just having to retire because nobody's picking him up. It's sad. But the Yankees are where they are right now, team-wise, and they're just not in need of him. And he only wants to be a Yankee. That much has been obvious for years and is even more especially obvious now with the with this latest news. And with that Gardner news, that's really mainly what's happened in Yankees news the last couple of weeks, guys. So now that I look up and see that we are over 40 minutes into this episode already, I just cannot keep track of time and I can never shut up as usual. Let's keep the ball rolling on this eventful episode 139 of Yapping Yankees and get to recapping mostly the last two weeks of action since we took off last week for Mother's Day, but mainly this past week of action because honestly, we are deep into this episode so we don't have too much time to go too in-depth for the games from two weeks ago, but also two weeks ago, not too many games happened thanks to the crappy weather. So it's mainly just this past week of action. So let's get right to it. Let's hop into the Yapping Yankees time machine and go right back to May 2nd on Monday and catch all the way up to today. Let's do it. All right, May the 2nd, and I'm not starting with Sunday, May 1st, because I'm pretty sure we actually managed to discuss that game already, and in case I didn't, I'll just give the final for that. The Yankees did win 6-4 to over the Royals, and they did manage to therefore complete the sweep of that weekend. And then on Monday, they hit the road against Toronto, like I said they would, and I was pretty nervous for this series. I was saying, man, if they could... If they could win two out of three, that'd be freaking awesome, and then a sweep would just be beyond. Well, they did manage to win two out of three, winning three to two the first night, so I was, I was plenty happy about those results. Montgomery started the series off on Monday. He went five innings, only allowing two runs and striking out five, so a fine start for him. Loisaga pitching a scoreless sixth inning. Miguel Castro getting two outs. Clay Holmes getting the final out of that seventh and then pitching the eighth, and Chad Green getting the save for the ninth. So the bullpen held things down. Only two runs were allowed from Montgomery in the fourth inning after the Yankees scored their first two on a two-run shot by Glaber to make it 2-0. And right after that was when Montgomery allowed his two runs on a RBI double by Bo Bichette and then an RBI single by Matt Chapman. And then the top of the ninth, Glaber Torres again gave the Yankees the lead on an RBI single to take a 3-2 lead and that would be the final on the night. Basically, Glaber Torres 3 and the Blue Jays 2 was the final score. Montgomery got two runs worth of run support while he was in, which uh, 
All things considered, two runs feels pretty enormous for him since the offense hates him. (laughs) And listen, I've gotten a couple of sensitive people in my Twitter mentions over that. It's just an exaggerating way to just say that he gets a freakishly little amount of run support, okay? I'm sure his teammates don't really hate him. Why don't you do yourself a favor and learn how to take a joke? (laughs) All right, so then Tuesday came around. And starting this game for the Yankees was Jameson Tyone. And like I'd said before, he has been quietly doing a nice job. And he, again, even kept this Blue Jays offense under control this night, going six innings, only allowing one run, striking out four, just having himself a really nice start. And the bullpen afterwards, again, being spotless. Wandy Peralta, scoreless seventh inning. Miguel Castro, scoreless eighth. And Licky even with the scoreless ninth. But then by then, the Yankees were leading by a ton. Jamison Tyone gave up his run in the fifth inning, so it was one nothing Blue Jays. And then after that, the Yankees were quiet before that run given up, but then they came right out in the sixth, and that it just started an onslaught, especially in the seventh when they managed to score six runs. Listen to this, in case you don't remember. Top of the sixth, Aaron Judge, solo shot, left field. Josh Donaldson in the top of the seventh now. This was really the devastating inning for the Blue Jays. Josh Donaldson, RBI double, 2-1. to one. Marvin Gonzalez, RBI double, 3-1. to one. And then Jose Trevino even got himself an RBI on a fielder's choice, made it 4-1. to one. Aaron Hicks coming through with runners in scoring position. Holy crap, very rare occurrence. <laughs> RBI single made it 5-1. to one. Aaron Judge, two-run double, made it 7-1. to one. And then in the top of the ninth, they were not done yet. John Carlos Stanton had to kick the Blue Jays when they were already down, which is a frequent habit of this Yankees team that I freaking love. <laughs> He hit a two-run shot to make it 9-1, to one, and that would be the final. So the Yankees were going to Wednesday, seeking the sweep. They unfortunately would not get it. They would lose 2-1, to one, but they almost came back, made it really exciting. But you know what? I perfectly settled, even though I wasn't happy with the way this game ended because it was an annoying, low-scoring 2-1 to one loss, and they could have very well gotten the sweep for this series and made it even better. But you know what? You're not going to win every single game. And like I said before, coming into tonight's game after last night's loss, they've won 17 out of 20 games. And in the midst of that, had an 11-game winning streak. You know what? (laughs) You're not going to win every single game. And this game that I'm recapping now was the one that ended said 11-game winning streak. So, I mean, how many in a row are you going to (laughs) win? You have to lose eventually. But starting this game was Nestor Cortez. And you know something? He gave up two runs. One run in the second inning, and then one run in the third inning, and those runs are given up on a solo shot by Matt Chapman, and then an RBI single by Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and Nestor's final line was four innings, four hits, two runs, four walks, and three strikeouts. He didn't really have his sharp stuff, but you know what? He still only allowed two runs in four innings. The bad part was the four walks, and he did give up four hits as well. He just didn't have his best stuff, but... He still didn't implode. And against that lineup especially, that's very respectable. When you still don't have your best stuff and you don't, you still manage to not implode against that Blue Jays lineup. And he still toughed it out. So that speaks volumes to me. And the only run the Yankees got on the night was a solo shot by Joey Gallo in the top of the third. It was his third on the year at that time. That tied the game. And of course, Vlad Guerrero Jr. would get his single right away in the bottom half of that inning. And the score would stay 2-1 to one all the way through to the end. The ninth inning was real exciting because the Yankees had the bases loaded. 
with two outs. And then Kiner Falefa grounded out to end the game. And it was it was a tough loss. A real rally in the ninth inning. They blew a lot of scoring chances, but you know what? They took the series. It's whatever. Only problem is, after this game, <laughs> they didn't play until Sunday. <laughs> so if I did an episode last Sunday on Mother's Day anyway, I wouldn't have had much to recap because there really was half the week was no games. Thursday was a day off. And then Friday started a couple of days trend on the east coast of an awful rainstorm passing through that that postponed I, I think it postponed what six or seven games from the middle of the country to the east coast actually not only on the east coast just horrible weather yeah look I, I have it right here Yankees and Rangers was postponed Mets and Phillies postponed Dodgers and Cubs postponed Pirates and Reds postponed Royals and Orioles postponed and Blue Jays and Guardians postponed that's six games I said six or yeah Sounds about right. Unbelievable. <laughs> so no game on Friday. No game on Saturday. Also rained out for that. The storm lasted like two freaking days. Everybody from outside of New York was like, Mike, what the hell's going on in New York? I'm like, we got crap weather. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Fortunately, now it's finally starting to get so nice. Last couple of days have been in the 70s. And I have my room window open right now where I'm recording. And it's just beautiful out today. Sunny, 70s, ugh. It's going to be like this for most of the week. I can't wait. But anyways, we are now on to May 8th, Mother's Day. So they've missed the first two games of the series. They had an off day on Monday originally scheduled. So to make up for all three and not have to worry about these games later on in the schedule, the Yankees did a doubleheader on Mother's Day. And then the league also put one of the missed games from Friday and Saturday onto the off day on Monday. The only bad part about this, I mentioned this briefly earlier when I was talking about the roster moves, is that this puts into effect a stretch of 23 games inside of 22 days leading up to Memorial Day for the Yankees on their schedule. And fortunately up to this point for the first week of that hectic amount of games in that amount of time, they've handled it very well because they've won a vast majority of the games so far. The starting pitching has done very well and went deep into the games for the most part. The bullpen has not been overtaxed, which is important going forward because there are like no days off. <laughs> and they, hopefully they keep that up because this schedule is nowhere near over being this way. Got a couple more weeks worth left of it until Memorial Day. So Mother's Day now, doubleheader. And unfortunately for the Yankees, they did indeed come out looking like a team that had not played since Wednesday. <laughs> The offense slept majorly in these games against Texas at Yankee Stadium. Fortunately, and again, like I said before, about certain aspects of the team working and other aspects not working at certain times, sometimes one aspect of the team has to pick the other up, depending on circumstances or times of the year or just natural cycles of the long season. The pitching bailed out the offense for a vast majority of this series. The Yankees won two out of three. They did lose one game to the Rangers. But regardless, the pitching for 95% of the time bailed out the offense. And that's what has to happen sometimes. And fortunately, the Yankees have that ability. That is a gift to have that. Especially given the way the Yankee pitching has been for years now. This is a sight for sore eyes. <laughs> the first game was started by Garrett Cole. He went six and a third, only allowing one run and striking out 10. So he kicked ass. 
Luizaga, an inning and two-thirds scoreless after him, and then Clay Holmes finishing off the game afterwards. He would get the win. And the Yankee offense, like I said, was quiet, but they did just enough. Bottom of the sixth, there were no runs until then. Giancarlo hit a sacrifice fly to make it one nothing, And then top of the seventh, when Garrett had well over 100 pitches, kept on going deep into the game. Cole Calhoun tied the game on a solo shot, 1-1. to And then bottom of the ninth to walk it off again like we have called him, Mr. Walkoff, Glaber Torres, hit a home run to right center field, solo shot to win the game 2-1 to on Mother's Day. He does it again. There's a W in the first game on Mother's Day. So that wrapped up the first game. The second game would be the one loss they took in the series. Montgomery started, so naturally you know that means that means a very small amount of runs are going to be scored. Even if the team has not played since Wednesday, doesn't make a difference when it comes to Montgomery. They never score when he pitches. <laughs> he went six innings, two runs, and five strikeouts, a very nice start for Montgomery. Yet again, I have dopes in my Twitter mentions telling me that he's a AAA starter. <laughs> All you keep on hearing over and over again, except for one start yesterday where he happened to get a few less outs than usual, is just constant, consistent, good quality starts out of him. And yet we have people always being hard on him. I don't understand it. But anyways, the Yankees did actually give him two runs worth of run support in the third inning on a two-run shot by Stanton, but then they went completely dormant after that. And in the top of the sixth, when Montgomery just gave up one run, and the second run was a run given up in the seventh inning with a runner on base that was charged to him. But he did give up one run in the sixth inning on a solo shot by Eli White. They were still winning 2-1 to one by then. And then in the seventh inning, when Michael King took over, this was probably the one bad outing for Michael King in the entire season. I was real lenient about it because Michael King has done what he has this year. He has been a top reliever in the sport. It's really tough to get on him for anything after what he's done. Truly phenomenal. But he just didn't have it on this night. Wild pitch, drove in that other run, charged Montgomery, tied the game at two. And then Brad Miller hit a two-run shot, go-ahead two-run shot to make it 4-2 Texas, and unfortunately that'd be the final, so the Yankees settled for a doubleheader split, would come out on Monday looking for the series win in the rubber game matchup, and they would get it again by only winning one to nothing because the offense, again, was dead silent. For the Yankees that day, it was Nestor Cortez, and this was an amazing start for Cortez. He was flirting with a no-hitter. He took a no-hitter into the eighth inning with one out until he finally gave up a hit to none other than Eli White. <laughs> but he was deep into the game at that point, still so impressive, was not even a little bit mad when he gave up this hit. Still an incredible job from Nestor. And, you know, people might wonder why, oh, why do you feel so confident every single time he's out there? Look what he's done. I'm sure nobody's asking that because everybody's seen what he's done, but look what this guy has done. I just watch all of this guy's starts in complete and utter disbelief with my jaw hitting the floor for about two hours straight every time he goes out there at this point. So he ended up having seven and a third innings of scoreless baseball with one hit allowed, four walks, and 11 strikeouts. Killer start. The bullpen after him, Clay Holmes got the final two outs of that eighth inning, and then Chapman would finish off the game getting the save after the one run by the Yankees was scored in the eighth inning on an RBI double by Anthony Rizzo. 
and Anthony Rizzo was thrown out at third base. He was trying to advance to third, tried to stretch a triple out of it, but Aaron Judge did score before that, so that drove in the one run in the game, and they would win by that score one to nothing. Moving on to Tuesday, the Yankees would return home for a quick two-game set against the Toronto Blue Jays, and this game was wild. Luis Severino started the game, and he he started out the game in brutal fashion. He ended up rebounding later on, but in the first two innings, in the first two, he gave up three runs on a solo shot to Springer right away to start the game, and then after that, he would give up a two-run double that some people thought was a home run at first, but then realized in review later that it wasn't, but a two-run double to Santiago Espinal. So it was 3-0 after that in the second inning, and he had over 60 pitches through two innings pitched. That's a lot. (laughs) But after that, he managed to pitch a scoreless third, a scoreless fourth, and managed to get into the fifth inning. One, two, three, third, perfect fourth inning, striking out the side. And then in the fifth inning, he got George Springer to fly out got Bo Bichette to strike out, and then he gave up a hit to Vlad Guerrero Jr., and he was taken out with one more out to get in the fifth inning. And considering where he was at through the first two innings, the fact that he made it through nearly five innings and pitched the way he did after that second inning, I mean, I described it as it looking like someone entirely different just jumped into his body. Different pitcher afterwards. So I really appreciated that, and since it was only three runs, the Yankees were still very much in the game. And they proved as much, even though they were dead silent up until this point, in the sixth inning. John Carlos Stanton, again. I mean, for a few days at this point, he had been waking up, and he just continued his tear here. A game-tying three-run shot to right field to tie the game at three. And you could almost hear Chris Woodward, manager of the Rangers, crying his eyes out all the way from Texas with some of these short port shots in the, in the Little League stadium, Little League home runs. <laughs> I even made a little bit of a tweet poking fun at him a little bit. just, And this tweet went around a lot, made its rounds, saying that, breaking news, there's a flood spotted in Arlington, Texas, and the origins of the flood are from the Rangers Stadium, and witnesses say that the source of said flood is coming from Chris Woodward's eyeballs after hearing the Yankees taking advantage of some more Little League home runs, something to that effect, and it made its rounds. This is a stupid little joking tweet like I always do. If you understand my humor, then you get it. (laughs) Nonetheless, I can't help myself when it comes to poking fun at people who just constantly whine about the short porch. The craziness of this game continued in the top of the eighth when the Blue Jays jumped back out in front by getting an RBI double by Lourdes Goriel Jr., taking a 4-3 lead, and then Alejandro Kirk hitting a sack fly to give them a 5-3 lead. Yankees had no answers in the eighth inning. And then in the bottom of the ninth, in the utmost of dramatic fashions, Unbelievable. Mainly against their really dominant closer, Jordan Romano. The inning started off in a way that wasn't very confidence-inducing. <laughs> Isaiah Kiner-Falefa struck out. Then, Jose Trevino drew an unbelievable walk in a great at-bat. Dijon LeMahieu also got a walk. Aaron Judge, next up, 
he hits a 450-foot tank job into the second deck in left field to walk it off just when it seemed like the Yankees had no life left. Aaron Judge, and I had a feeling. I was sitting on my recliner chair in my family room with my family around me. I said, I just feel like Judge is going to do it. I feel like he's going to do it. And he freaking did. Because that is Aaron Judge. <laughs> like I said, for weeks now, has been on an absolute tear. Walked it off. Yankees win 6-5 to five in yet another important game. Every game is important, but especially against big division rivals like the Blue Jays. Aaron Judge walked it off in a big way to start this little two-game series. So, the Yankees would head into Wednesday seeking the little two-game series sweep, and they would get it. Jameson Tyone took the mound, and his final line was five and a third innings, two runs allowed, four strikeouts, again, keeping the Blue Jays lineup under control. He did give up some hard hits, and he didn't necessarily have his best stuff, but five and a third, only given up two, the offense had his back, my God, did it work out. He has, again, quietly done a very nice job. But the Blue Jays did jump out in front at first. Teoscar Hernandez grounded out, and he drove home George Springer to make it one nothing. Bottom of the fourth, again, this is what I'm talking about. Glaber Torres being locked in again lately. Three-run shot. Go-ahead three-run shot in the bottom of the fourth to give the Yankees a 3-1 to lead. Matt Chapman would have the Blue Jays inch a little closer with a sacrifice fly to make it 3-2 to Yankees. And then Glaber Torres again. One man banned against the Blue Jays like he was in Toronto the week prior. Two-run single to make it 5-2. to So... At that point, again, Glaber Torres 5, Blue Jays 2. <laughs> and then at the top of the ninth, the Blue Jays would only get one run on a sack fly by Springer, but the Yankees would lock in a 5-3 to win, again, handling the Blue Jays very well, having a two-game sweep at the stadium, and feeling good on their way to having a four-game series in Chicago, which they will be wrapping up today. By the time you're hearing this, the series and Game 4, therefore, will have already been over. By now, at the time I'm recording, the game is only just getting underway now, so I do not know the end result yet, like you do at the time you're listening. But on Thursday, they started their three-game set in Chicago, and what an eventful series this has been. <laughs> My God. So, the, the scoring action on Thursday. Unreal. Starting the game was Luis Heal. Like I said before, he's still working on getting getting his control. He's had a lot of command issues when he's been down in the minor leagues this year. Still managed to make it through four innings. Allowed four runs, striking out five. Walking two, giving, giving up five hits. The Yankee offense did jump out and supported him right away, though, on the top of the first. Giancarlo hit a two-run homer. But then Heal started to lose control a bit. Bottom of the second allowed the White Sox to take a 3-2 to two lead on an A.J. Pollock RBI double and a Lurie Garcia two-run single. But then, right away in the top of the third, the Yankees just kept punching back. This team is relentless. RBI triple by Anthony Rizzo to tie the game at three. Giancarlo Stanton, two-run shot, again, ninth of the year at this point, giving the Yankees a 5-3 to three lead. Top of the fourth, they kept on going. RBI double by D.J., Bottom of the fourth, White Sox hit back a little bit again, but mainly because of Luis Heal. A wild pitch, A.J. Pollock came home to score, making it 6-4. to four. 
Top of the seventh, Aaron Judge given a little bit more insurance after that with a solo shot, his 11th of the year. Bottom of the seventh, Jonathan Luizaga, like I said, he's been struggling here and there lately. And this was yet another inning of that. He would give up a game-tying three-run shot to Yoan Mankata. So now it's seven to seven in the bottom of the seventh. A lot of sevens. <laughs> but the Yankees in the top of the eighth, they made them pay for tying the game. <laughs> Aaron Judge, two-run single to make it nine to seven. Giancarlo Stanton, two-run single to make it eleven to seven. Josh Donaldson with his first home run in a while, his third of the year, three-run shot to make it 14-7. Mind you, like I said before, one of the impressive things about this Yankee team being their two-out rallies, all of this being done in the eighth inning with two outs, seven runs after Josh Donaldson's three-run shot. 14 to 7. They panned to the White Sox crowd. They couldn't get out of the stadium fast enough. <laughs> they did the same thing on Friday when something similar happened. I'll get into it in a second. Hysterical stuff. And then they weren't even done in the top of the ninth. They added on just one more for the hell of it. Why not? Aaron Judge sack fly. <laughs> 15 to 7. And that was the final score. Like I said before, this team, they'll kick you when you're down. And I can't get enough of that crap. I can't. So 15-7, to what a way to start the series. And if you thought the Yankees were done with double-digit scoring after Friday, you would be very wrong. <laughs> Friday night, Garrett Cole took to the hill. He had an unbelievable start up until the very end. Right, and He did give up one run in the fourth inning, thanks to just himself. He balked in a run. But he, he tried to throw to first and realized DJ was playing back because why would he be playing first in that situation with a full count? I believe runners were on the corners with two outs. I mean, why? Why would he be covering first? So kind of just a boneheaded mistake. And then in the sixth inning, he did give up a two-run shot to Gavin Sheets with a freaking nuke <laughs> to right field. But other than that, Garrett again had himself a very nice start. Six and a third, just those three runs, nine strikeouts. And of course, Michael King would pitch two and two-thirds, only giving up one run, but just a phenomenal outing by him again, going nearly three frames. Like I've said, you just can't say enough about Michael King. But the Yankee offense, <laughs> they jumped out right away, and they just they put their foot on the White Sox throats. They wouldn't let them do a thing. Right away in the top of the first, again, John Carlos Stanton, after already homering twice the night prior. Hitting a two-run shot to lead off the game in the top of the first. Not exactly lead off. It was in the first batter of the game. But to start the game in the first inning. Two-run shot. His 10th of the year. He's now in double digits as well along with Judge. Two to nothing. Aaron Hicks with runners in scoring position. Rare occurrence again. RBI double. Three to nothing. DJ LeMahieu drove in a run on a ground out as well. Four to nothing. Then Josh Donaldson on an RBI double drove home the fifth run. In, and Aaron Hicks... LeMahieu's ground out and this RBI double by Donaldson all in the second inning. So 5 to nothing by the second inning already with Garrett Cole on the mound. If you're the Yankees, you're feeling pretty good. And you're feeling even better after the top of the fourth when Aaron Judge added on a little bit more insurance, because again, why not? With a solo shot, his 12th of the year, Major League leading 12th of the year, 6 to nothing. After that was when... Cole balked in his one run at first. He would give up three total, but his first run 
in the bottom of the fourth. Top of the fifth, Yankees got the run right back. Who cares? <laughs> Joey Gallo, solo shot to right field, make it 7-1. to That was when Gavin Sheets hit his home run in the bottom of the sixth. After that, two-run shot to make it 7-3. to Top of the ninth, Yanks felt like adding on more, because again, why not? Two-run shot by Josh Donaldson, his fourth of the year, 9-3. to Again, he's, he's homering quite a bit again lately. He's got to keep it up. And this is when the fans started heading out of the stadium again. <laughs> Oh, uh, so funny. Oh, my God. Second night in a row that it happened, and after a Donaldson hit, too. Oh, it's just great. And then a sack fly by Isaiah Kiner-Falefa made it 10-3. to Reese McGuire would drive home a run on an RBI single in the bottom of the ninth off Michael King to make it 10-4, to but it was so far out of reach at that point. Who even cares? 10-4, to Yankees win. Last game, last night until we're fully caught up, the Yankees would unfortunately drop one 3-2. Montgomery pitched the game, had himself a pretty nice start. Again, like some people irrationally complained about. (laughs) He did only go four and a third, but he only gave up two runs. Two runs is a lot for him, though, because we know how little the Yankee offense has his back. And they didn't have his back at all, because they didn't even score until the eighth inning. (laughs) So they did finally manage to get on the board, the Yankees did, in the 8th inning on an RBI single by Giancarlo Stanton. Top of the ninth, they did manage to tie the game on a sacrifice fly by Higashioka and lost a chance at potentially scoring more when Isaiah Kiner-Falefa got thrown out trying to advance to third, like I mentioned earlier in the episode. But that tied the game at two, Higashioka finally contributing something. Bottom of the ninth, Aroldis Chapman comes out. I already had a bad feeling about it. Like I said, just feelings of unease with him. It's just so annoying. But he came out, and it was not a pretty ninth. Started out okay. Got Josh Harrison to fly out, but then Tim Anderson got an RBI single, and then after that, it's just whenever something happens like that, Chapman just completely unfolds, and he's his own worst enemy. Could not find the strike zone. He walked Yuan Moncada. So it was first and second. Couldn't find the strike zone against Luis Robert. And then and then he just took a ball into right field. Ground ball to right. Tim Anderson came home to score. Chapman blows another one. Honestly, he is very, very fortunate to only have a one and a half ERA, like I mentioned earlier, with a couple of other times when the other bullpen arms bailed him out. Or actually just straight up pitched in innings where he usually would, but He's just not as reliable anymore. He really isn't, especially when he has nights like this where he just loses the strike zone and just becomes his own worst enemy. Blew another game, and the Yankees lost 3-2 to because of that. And heading into today, the Yankees look to take the series 3 out of 4. And with Nestor on the mound today, I'm very confident that they will and have a very pleasant flight onto Baltimore, which has me move on to telling you what's ahead. To end the recap segment. So what is ahead? The schedule remaining for the next week is very funny because they're having the four games against the White Sox this weekend. Then they're having four on the road against the Orioles right after this starting tomorrow on Monday the 16th. Then they're coming home to face the White Sox again. And then they face the Orioles at home. So they're going White Sox, Orioles, White Sox, Orioles. (laughs) So Monday the 16th tomorrow, like I said, They're going to Baltimore. Seve will be getting the start, 7.05 Eastern in Baltimore. Tuesday, 7.05 Eastern as well. Tyone will be on the mound. Wednesday, 7.05. 
Cole will be on the mound, and Thursday will be Montgomery's turn, 12.35 p.m. game, which a lot of you know drives me absolutely insane because weekday day games are crap, and those of us who have jobs really cannot afford to watch it and keep up with that, like me, so it is very annoying. (laughs) I can keep up with it, I just can't watch it, which I want to watch the game. So, that's annoying, but whatever. 12.35 Eastern on Thursday, Montgomery on the mound for that one. Next weekend, back to the White Sox, but this time it's at Yankee Stadium. Three-game weekend set. First night on Friday, 7.05 Eastern. Starters have obviously not been announced yet. 1.05 Eastern on Saturday, and next Sunday, the 22nd, when we speak again, it'll be at 7.08 p.m. Eastern for an ESPN night game. So obviously, as you can hear, the Yankees still just on an absolute tear. There is no denying it, and I'm very confident that they will find a way to win yet again today behind nasty Nestor Cortez, my freaking boy. God, I love that guy. (laughs) All right, we are deep into this episode, and we still got the social media segment to do, and we are finally caught up on Yankees baseball. And I obviously gave my thoughts on this social media segment that I have planned for you for today. It's not even really a question, an open-ended question, or a Q&A, or a poll like usual. It's more of a sounding-off segment, if you will. But here it is. I basically just called it Yapping Yankee social media segment. I basically just asked you to sound off. Give me your thoughts on this team so far. Anything you want to yap about. I've obviously spent the last hour and ten minutes yapping about them. Hour and ten plus. So I'm just going to go right into your replies. Let's get to them. And by the way... I guess I was just comatose yesterday because I posted this to Twitter in the middle of the afternoon like I usually do on Saturdays with my social media segments. But then for the rest of the day, I usually post it on Instagram like a little while later, like a half hour, hour later. I totally forgot. (laughs) So you Instagrammers, I'm very sorry, thanks to my own stupidity, are not going to be included in this today. But... I'm just going to be doing Twitter. And to be honest with you, even though my interaction on Instagram is really good, my Twitter interaction is my is the best of my interactions on all the social media platforms. So if I had to pick, not to exclude you Instagrammers, but if I had to pick which social media platform to actually remember to do, <laughs> it would be Twitter. So I'll just go through my Twitter replies. I'm going to read like the first 10 that I see. And that'll be it, because again, with all this catching up and all this excitement over the Yankees, I have eaten up a lot of time here on this episode. So what are your thoughts on the team? Fire them all off to me. Just give them to me. First up is my friend Spencer, musician DMD. And Spencer says, at the season's outset, I felt continuity was a strength with many players from 2021 returning for 2022. Trading Gary, returning Labor to second, were little moves that made a big difference. I predicted the Yankees would win 100 games and win the AL East. So far, so good. Absolutely. Yeah, I, and, and you did, Spencer. I'll give you credit. You, I remember you saying explicitly that the Yankees would win 100 games. I think I predicted 96, which, I, again, 96 is looking even better. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm hitting the nail on the head with that, but we'll see. I didn't want to go too optimistic and say 100 because I still had my questions with this team heading in, obviously. Valid questions that, fortunately, most of them have turned out to be pretty good. So, very happy about that, of course. But you did predict 100, and that'd be awesome. And, of course, the division's looking great. If they manage to win today, even if everything stays the same... The Yankees are four and a half games up on the next team behind them, which is Tampa. 
and they're like seven or eight games ahead of Toronto in the loss column, which is great. They're just looking really good. And any division, any AL East division on any given season that sees the Red Sox in last place is a division that I want to be a part of and see routinely. (laughs) So it's looking good so far. And like I did say, I had my questions with the Minnesota trade. You guys remember, I'm not going to hide it. I had my certain questions and certain other aspects of it I was happy with and just willing to be patient over. I'm happy about, about that, that I was with those certain things. But getting rid of Gary, I was happy about that. I really was. Glaber moving back to second. He still started off really rough, so it was looking iffy. He was making his mistakes there too. And they even had the gall, even if it was just for a single inning, to shift him back to shortstop, which drove me nuts. But they've done a better job with not doing that lately. Glaber's been on much more of a tear of late, of course. So yeah, that's looking good. And I hear you, Spencer. That's those good thoughts. At Laura underscore Icemont says, I'm feeling excited about this team. They seem to be clicking on all cylinders at once, and it's showing on the field. I'm hopeful that this will continue as the season goes along. So am I, Laura. And like I said, a lot of the aspects are clicking at the same time, and that does help to mask the just here and there occasional negatives that you see every now and again. Because every team's going to have them no matter how good they are, like I said, because these are human beings, no one's perfect, and they're are certain cycles that a team goes through throughout the long season where certain aspects of the team have to pick up others. But for a vast majority of it, it's been clicking. Up next is at NYYSportsFan96, and they say, better than what most on this app had projected them to finish in, which was generally fourth place, I would say. The Yankees should pay Aaron Judge whatever he needs, leading the team in batting average and home runs as of Saturday afternoon before their game today. Yeah, <laughs> that's really what most people predicted. I didn't necessarily predict fourth place. I saw it possible, but I predicted more like third, second, being a wild card team, making it into the playoffs again, and then not making it all the way, but maybe advancing around, maybe two. But I didn't have them going all the way, but you know, now obviously a lot of feelings are, are very positive <laughs> all around. Paying Aaron Judge whatever he wants, are you certainly making a case? <laughs> Like I said before, talk about making a case to get paid. He is. I don't know about whatever he wants because I don't like 8-10 to year deals. I really don't. But as far as money, he's making it tough. (laughs) He is. And he's really reproving his importance as he stays healthy and just continues to murder everybody. So, definitely exciting stuff. Lord knows I love Aaron Judge. So, and regardless of the circumstances, I would hate to see him leave, even if I think that the Yankees offer, when they did offer to him, like I said, and I still stick to it at the time, that it was a fair offer, I'd still hate to see him go regardless, just for the sake of how much I love having him on the team, and what he means to the team, in every single way, on the field, off the field, marketing-wise even, everything. At WNL Law 99 says, this team is on an absolute torrid pace. When it slows, and it must eventually, what do you think will be the cause? My guess is that the second judge hits a slump, we'll see exactly how important he is to this team. Well, yeah, they'll go through their rough patches, and then, you know, like I said, it's inevitable. I acknowledge that throughout the long course of a season. It is inevitable for a team to hit a rough patch, even if it's a brief one. Which, with the way this team is looking, it looks like any rough patch would be brief because they're just on a 
ridiculous tear. And even if they do, if they win today, they would be 25-9. and nine. Almost 20 games over 500. I don't even think they got 15 games over 500 until August of last year. So they could afford to even hit a bit of a slump for a while. And they get right back on the horse and just... Oh my god. <laughs> They're in such a good place right now. But if they do, I would imagine... I would imagine the pitching taking a hit would definitely be a cause for it because the pitching has been so terrific yet again. So if the pitching goes through an ugly spell, especially the rotation, that'll definitely cause a rough patch. If Judge and Stanton go to sleep at the same time, yeah, so definitely partially what you said. Definitely agree with that. We know how important Judge is. Yeah, any of those causes can happen, really. If Judge and Stanton go to sleep at the same time and if Rizzo's not doing anything... If Gallo's not hitting home runs, if Donaldson doesn't hit his full potential still. Um, yeah, mainly the pitching, I think. If the rotation takes a massive hit, that, that could hurt some things. But even then, maybe the offense could pick them up because we've seen how resilient they are. So we'll see. It could be a combination of a bunch of different things. At Pink Ember says, Awesome to see Stanton and Judge hot at the same time. Hell yeah. <laughs> Like I said before, it is a dream when those two are hitting on all cylinders at the same time. At Frank Oliveri says, I'm very happily surprised. Definitely beyond any expectations I had for them going into the season. And that's the case with a lot of people. And I think it's definitely beyond everyone's expectations, even for people who are optimistic. Because this is on another level, (laughs) what we've seen so far. And we don't know what's going to happen going forward, even though we're all feeling really good. But... It's been beyond anything. Anything. My good friend James at Rebirth Chaos 09 says, This team is fantastic. Love the start so far. I guess if we're nitpicking, is the bottom of the order needs to hit better. Also, I'm concerned about Loisega. He's not the same dominant reliever he's been, but other than that, I'm happy with this start. And yeah, those are the couple of things I mentioned before. Like, I, I mentioned Isaiah kiner Falefa struggling a bit. He's, he's towards the bottom. And also at the bottom is the catcher position. I've mentioned how little you're getting out of that offensively. Mentioned Loisica's struggles. But yeah, again, the positives of the, t- of the team are masking those things and making them be not as big of a deal. So yeah, I, I hear you, James. Other than that, yeah, and that could be seen as nitpicking, but it, it's valid to mention. They are things that are happening. But the positives are just overwhelming. Rob at Laker 477 says, I'm super excited about this Yankees team. I admit I did not expect them to get off to such a great start. Hopefully they continue to all stay healthy and continue to play like this for the rest of the season and bring home World Series championship number 28. That's the goal, isn't it? (laughs) And I don't think many at all anticipated this good a start, man. I really don't. Rebecca at Peace Now for Life says, Hey Mike, I am so happy with this team. What a huge difference from the last few years. The starting pitching and bullpen have been fantastic and timely hitting has been great. They look like a complete team and their record reflects that. I hope they keep it going. Absolutely. All around. Completely agree. At Julian Gillardi 1, my friend Julian says, Love what I'm seeing all the way around. Pitching staff to the bats. 100%. Absolutely. At NYYNYJNYI. So a Yankees, Jets, and Islanders fan, okay? Says, playing to potential. Tough to keep that up consistently to this degree, but even with some lulls, they should win the East. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, even if they're to hit a slump, 
with their current record, they're just in such a good place. Such a good place. At Jimmy R twelve fifty four says this team is clicking on all cylinders, and the scary part is that Joey Gallo and Aaron Hicks haven't even truly contributed the way they should. But when they do, start planning for the parade. Yeah, you know Gallo's on and off constantly, very streaky, and he'll get all of his positives and bunches, like I said. But since the last week of April, even though it'll still drive me nuts every now and again. <laughs> Since the last week of April, he has been doing more statistically. He has been, and I've and I've noticed it. I have, and I root for him hard. I think he's a really good guy. Seems like a genuinely down-to-earth person. I don't know him personally, so I don't know that for a fact, but I root for everybody on the team, even if I get on them at times. <laughs> That's just part of being a fan. All right, let's just do the last two as per usual, my girlfriend Vic and my mom. So first up is at Vic Salimo, my girlfriend, and she says, As you know, when we started the season, I was skeptical and nervous that we'd be the same team as last season and that we'd follow the same patterns and mistakes. But things took a turn for the better, and up to this point, I have been ecstatic about this team's performance. This team is the very definition of what it means to be the Yankees. This is the team I want to see all around. I'm going to continue to be happy about it and remain positive that we'll continue this and get 28 this year. Let's go, Yankees. Uh, tough to get more optimistic than that. And it's really, that's what the fan base is feeling right now. And these last few weeks have just been a gift. All right, last but not least is my mom, Julia Gina Scudero, as always. And my mom says, I think the Yankees are finally acting like the Yankees. Amen and hallelujah. <laughs> I'm finally again watching Yankee games with bells on and full of excitement. They are amazing, and I hope that their recent past of slumping terribly in past years after a winning streak is a thing that stays in the past. I'm proud of these guys. We need to clean up some people in the lineup ASAP. We need Gallo to be more consistent, even though I love the guy personally, and Higashioka as well, doing nothing offensively. Not a huge fan of Donaldson because he's unpredictable, even though he's had some good plays recently and does walk a lot. Anyway, Stanton, Judge, and Rizzo are stacked up for a killer effect. They're doing a fantastic job. If the team overall keeps playing like this, we'll win the World Series. Hell yeah, Mom. All valid things that you said. All valid. And I agree. I do. Especially Stanton, Rizzo, and Judge, even though Rizzo came back down to earth a little bit, which is inevitable. He's human. (laughs) He'll get it back eventually and go on a godly tear again at some point. They are just... You start to run out of words eventually. (laughs) They're just surreal. They really are. Unbelievable. But guys... It has been a long episode. (laughs) Thank you all so, so much for your interactions on the social media segment. I had to zoom through it because there was so much to catch up on and talk about with how amazing the team is, how freaking wonderful it is to be a Yankee fan right now. (laughs) And I hope that you have all had as much fun listening to this episode 139, this action-packed, adventurous episode 139. I hope you've had as much fun listening to it as I have doing it. But for now, that is all for episode 139 today. Before I go, guys, a couple of quick reminders. As always, be sure to follow me on all social medias if you do not already. Facebook fan page is at Mike Scudero NY. Mike Scudero NY. Twitter is at Mike Scudero. And Instagram 
is Mike Scuds 97 Please also remember to subscribe to Yapping Yankees on all four of the platforms it's available on. That's YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Show your love on all four of the platforms. Leave a review on Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Leave a like below on YouTube if you're listening on there. And if you've missed any past Yapping Yankees episodes, we've had a couple of weeks off here the last month or so, so you've had some time to catch up. But if you still haven't, then be sure to listen to any past episodes you've missed. Episodes 34 up to episode 139 today are available on YouTube. And every single Yapping Yankees episode, including today's, are available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify going all the way back to episode one three years ago. But once again, thank you, 3000, for listening to me yap today, as always, my friends. I am Mike Scudero, and I will talk to you next Sunday, May 22nd, when I come at you with episode 140 of Yapping Yankees. We're closing it on 150, guys. That's just nuts. <laughs> but until then, hang in there, be patient, please stay safe. Look out for your loved ones, and let's just keep enjoying watching the Yankees just opening up a can of whoop-ass on everybody. (laughs) Enjoy your week, my friends. Talk to you next Sunday. Take care.